Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Saya and I are reunited for the first time in months, and we are super pumped for this episode. We both have microphones now. Saya, how have you been? <laughs> I've been okay. Yeah, I got a mic now, so that's an improvement. Not sounding so crunchy anymore. I'm feeling, yeah, the crunchy is gone. We're sounding professional. Um, I have like a recording studio. I mean, not really. It's my desk, but it feels legit. Love that for you. Thanks. <laughs> um, okay, how was your first term of senior year? Yeah, not bad. I, I'm in Japan, so. But yeah, now we're into the second term. Um, senioritis is hitting. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, but I guess grades don't matter, right? So, you know. Bro, we're both trying to go to grad school. I, yeah, but I already submitted my app, so <laughs> oh, what are we going to do? <laughs> Saya is currently applying to a chemistry grad schools, which is very intense and very exciting. Doing exciting things all around, both of us. It's a big deal from chemistry to philosophy. Oh, my philosophy minor got approved yesterday. Oh, that's awesome. Yep. <laughs> Me graduating without any kind of philosophy degree. Love that. Wait, really? I thought well, you were a minor. No, I probably could have turned it into a minor. But basically, you know, my study abroad last year, I was at yeah, Oxford, which was a great experience, but it basically limited the kinds of classes. Yeah, I could do senior year. So, Saya, tell us how we decided to come up with this time travel episode. I took a class from a guy who... Basically, the class was philosophy of physics, but he did his thesis on time and he's written like three books on time. So most of the class was about time and we did a whole unit on time travel. And then Sky also took, I don't know, what what kind of class did you take? So I touched on this a little in the last episode on consciousness, but I took this like really awesome physics for basically like non-scientist type class, but... It was like the best possible form of that class um, because it touched a lot on like philosophy and the cultural side too and like the human experience, not just the physical side of physics. We talked a little bit about time travel in that class too and it's such a hot topic, right? It's such hot philosophy because it's it's so interesting. Like time travel, are you kidding? That would be insane. So I think we both, you know, we both happened to talk about it and thought it would be really interesting um, to talk about on the pod. So yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, especially because I was living with a lot of my friends for the school year and I was taking this class and we would end up talking about like the stuff I was learning about just because like it would come up randomly like if they're watching TV and like there'd be time travel and stuff. And like if you like sci-fi, I feel like it's really interesting too. I mean, it's just ubiquitous in everyday life. I feel like this idea of time travel because people are so interested in it. Saya, I feel like you should kick us off because... Basically, today, Saya is going to take us through kind of the philosophical, uh, dis- like the discussion of the theories of time. And then I'm going to attempt to get us into the physical side, the physics of time travel. And then, you know, we'll have a bit more of a conversation about it and like how it shows up in culture and media. But Saya, why don't you kick us off with the philosophical side? Okay, um, I just like to preface, I wrote one essay on time travel and watched a total of three hours of lecture on time travel so yeah neither we're of us really know. yeah we're beginners okay so i have no doesn't idea mean we're about. not passionate but 
please I take everything we say with a grain of salt. We're trying our very best, you know. Um, exactly. Right. So, <clears throat> from my very basic view of how time can be thought of, there are two main theories that we learned about, which is they're boiled down to what are called the A theory and B theories of time. So, the easier one to get is the A theory of time. Um, and it can basically basically be thought of as how people feel like time passes. So you and me, Sky, we both feel that right now as we're speaking, this is the now. And there's the past that's behind us and it's set in stone because it's already happened. And the future is undecided. And as the now moves through time, the future becomes the past and things come into existence as the now moves through time. Um, it's interesting because all people of all cultures which is something my professor talked about but all people of all cultures this is how they all experience time there's no culture that doesn't see time in this way where things are becoming um as the now arrives to them um so this theory is also called the becoming universe or also presentism which is i think how you learned about it but so that's the a theory of time just to pause on that one this is how we experience time. Just, you know, initially hearing it, it would be absurd as a human to feel like time would pass in any other way. Obviously, you'll get into how that's not the case, but it's really interesting for me with time and a lot of these philosophical concepts where there's a really strong presence of physics and science is that human intuition is not always right. Yeah, I thought that was what I also found most interesting is that every single culture, regardless of the language and I think there's some evidence for animals also experiencing time this way, but it's totally not intuitive to think of it um, in the way that we're about to talk about. Yeah. All right. Cool. So get into that that way. The B theory of time, which is pretty much accepted as the actual way that time is or how it's structured, or I believe that it's the accepted way to think about time if you're talking about physics and if you're talking about philosophy of physics. All right, so the B theory of time is a partialist theory, which means that there's no partiality. Another way to think of this is there's no tense. So you have past tense, present tense, and future tense. But in the B series of time, or the B theory of time, time is tenseless. Events exist on, say, all the events of the universe exist in sequence on a line or like a 3D block or whatever you want to imagine it as. And past, present, future don't exist. Everything that's going to happen and has happened just is already there. And a person experiencing time is just so, some somebody on that line moving forwards. So there is a direction that time goes, the natural direction that time goes, Like, but there is no now, if that makes sense. So it's just you're already moving through an existing block. In the A theory of time, you would say that the block which is everything, all the events of the world and the universe, the block comes into existence as the now moves forward. But in the B theory of time, the block is already there and you're just arriving to those events, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? It's a a tough concept, but I think you've made it pretty clear here where eight theories of time, it's how we think about it. The future is not yet decided. We're moving through time and it like comes into fruition. Whereas with this B theory, there's a block of events I guess you could say that already exists and you're just moving along that during your life um yeah I mean I think it's 
I think it's, yeah, I think it's pretty clear. Tough ideas, but I think that distinction is pretty clear. The thing that's probably hardest to wrap your head around is the fact that it doesn't feel like things are already determined. And obviously, there's so many, there's so much philosophy about whether things already are determined. And there's a lot of like, you know, that's also a very like religious question, I guess you could say. But in this scenario, the way, like for our purposes, we can just assume that the block is already determined. You are just arriving at events in sequence and they're already there but it's just you arriving to them that what which is what feels like the now is is you arriving to an event but in reality there's no now yeah i mean i would say this concept of determinism is something that first of all comes up a lot when you start thinking about physics and its interaction with the human experience because in this class, when I was learning about quantum mechanics, a key idea is that, you know, it projects these probabilistic paths and, like, each of us just ends up taking one of the probabilistic paths that, like, the equations from quantum mechanics tells us is governing our lives. So there is this element of determinism, I think, when we think about a lot of physical concepts. And I'm seeing it come up here with the B theory. Um, what do you think about that? Definitely when you talk about, like, relativity and time, which we'll get into later, like, more of the – Sky will talk about like, more of the, like, physics side of it. But it does seem like if there is no now, and if there is no now, and if time is relative, then it would feel like that there would be no determination of your own actions, right? And if someone is in the future in relation to you, then it would feel like things had already been decided. One last question, though. With this B theory, is there still room for human, like, will and decision-making? Or does the block kind of determine your path? Like, Well, so in my class, we basically only talked about, like, there was no human aspect to it. Um, it was all philosophical theories of time, right? Because philosophy mm -hmm. is, like, the study of, like, pretty much everything, if you, like, really think about it. So in this case, the block would be considered to be finite, or not uh, not finite, but definite, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, your line has already been drawn for you, and you're just moving along that line, if that makes sense. Which, it becomes relevant when you start to talk about time travel, um, because if there is a block theory of time, and if it is definite, then things like the grandfather paradox, where you're you're not... So we can get into this now. We can get into time travel now. So when you talk about the block theory of time and time travel, there become things that are not allowed, like logically not allowed. If moving forward, if we assume that the block theory of time is real and that is what that is how time is structured, then which if we, we think about time do. travel, right, which we need to do. So when you get to time travel, things have to be logically possible with what you're working with before that you can think about whether they're scientifically possible. And if we're talking about the block theory of time, um, a lot of things cease to be logically possible when you think about time travel. So most famous paradox of time travel is the grandfather paradox. Sky goes back in time and kills her grandfather before oh, her father... Sorry, <laughs> I just used it as an example. Yeah, it's okay. So Sky goes back in time and kills her grandfather before her dad is born. Therefore, her dad is never born. Therefore, Sky is never born. Right? So then the paradox becomes, what happens? If her grandfather dies, then she was never born and she was never born to kill her grandfather. Right? So that is a paradox. And in the um, 
if you think about the block universe, there's only one option for things that have happened. Um, some people might be like, oh, well, in one universe, like, she does kill her grandfather and then, like, whatever, whatever. Like, in this, we are assuming that there is only one block and all the events on that block um, have occurred and will occur, which is saying the same thing because there's no pe- present, past, or future tense. So we can just say that on the block, all events are occurring at some time or another in a specific order one way or another sky would not be able to kill her grandfather because in a block universe that would be impossible a better way to explain this is david lewis i read this paper for my class um by david lewis it's called the paradoxes of time travel and he defines logically possible time travel as he calls it consistent time travel and he talks about the grandfather paradox and his conclusion is that if you have time, if time travel is logically possible in a block universe, one way or another, Sky would not be able to kill her grandfather. Either she would miss, like her gun would fire in the wrong direction, someone would stop her, she would decide she didn't want to. But if we're just talking purely on like a logical like level, she wouldn't be able to kill her grandfather because in a block universe, if you have time travel, there can be no have truths about whether or not something happened. So if she did kill her grandfather, like half of the truth would be that she killed her grandfather therefore she was never born but the other half truth would be that she did kill her grandfather and therefore she must have been born so in the block universe that can't be half truths because there's only one block do you get that does that make sense <laughs> you lost <laughs> a little bit but okay let's recap, let's recap here so there's two kind of branches of theories of time in order for there to be a logical possibility of time travel at all, we have to go down this B theory path, which defines this like block universe. And well, I think physics wise, we we it, we would be assuming, no matter if we were thinking about time travel or not, that the block universe is the universe that we live in. Okay, so we're going down this B theory path, and with this theory, there are certain. There's only one block, if that makes sense. There's right, only right, one right. block, and there's only one truth about events that occur. So, if you kill your grandfather, there would be some there would be some truth in the fact that you had killed him, and therefore you were never born. But then there would also be some truth in that you must have been born in order to kill him, right? So that's why there's a paradox. But and so is the B theory allowing? Like, how does it reconcile the grandfather paradox? David Lewis is saying that any type of time travel that creates this kind of inconsistency or this kind of half-truth problem uh. is is logically impossible. So the only type of time travel that is possible is time travel where none of these kinds of inconsistencies occur, which my first instinct when I read that was like, okay, so basically time travel is impossible because no matter what you do, if you go into the past, you're going to set off some kind of um, like butterfly effect that will, you know... Do stuff right, like, that's my uh, instinct too when I hear about this. Right, but then he um, explains that there are actually a lot of things you can do to time travel. You just can't mess anything up that would create that kind of inconsistency. And logically, it's just not possible. So if there were time travel, the time travel would not create any of those types of inconsistencies. So now it makes sense where basically you've highlighted a type of paradox that makes time travel like inconsistent and illogical but as Mm -hmm. lewis kind of articulates that doesn't deny the possibility of any time travel it just denies 
type of it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. This makes and sense. The other interesting thing is that there are certain paradoxes. I'm thinking of one in particular, which we can talk about if we have time, um, that seem like they would create inconsistencies, but actually don't. So that's one of those is a causal loop. So in the B theory of time, if there's logical time travel, which is what we are talking about right now, um, a causal loop would be like, I'm just going to use the example my teacher used. So I'm giving my teacher full credit for this example. Um, so so Sky goes to the store, buys a full anthology of Shakespeare's works, travels back in time to before he wrote them, and then drops them off on his doorstep with his name on them. So he opens the door. He realizes that in the future he's going to write these. And then instead of writing them, he just copies the book that Sky has given him. So the paradox becomes, where did that knowledge come from? Like, he didn't write those books, but he must mm-hmm. have written those books. But Sky gave him those books, so he never wrote them, right? right? So in that case, that is something that actually is possible in with consistent um, logical time travel because that doesn't create any sort of half-truth about, like, whether someone exists or never existed. It's more like that knowledge didn't come from anywhere, but it just didn't come from anywhere. And that's just the, that's just the truth. So there are, like, things like that where you'd think that, oh, my God, that's, like, in a case where time travel would have to be impossible but so that's an example of how even if time travel does get messy it's still possible it just can't be messy in specific ways where there are confusions about events occurring or not occurring or like split timelines or stuff like that does that make sense though it it does make sense where basically it's becoming more and more specific what type of time travel will it actually logically hold, but that there are like certain types of challenges that may seem daunting at first for the possibility of time travel that can act- actually be logically resolved. Saya has given us a lot to think about here. Um, if you're confused, don't worry. I'm also confused. I'm also confused. <laughs> We're all confused. We're just trying to talk it like through it, but I think what we can take away from that is there's varying philosophical theories of time, and some do logically allow for some kind of time travel. Yeah, and I just want to say, like, I'm not talking about like physically possible. I'm just talking about like if yes. we follow the logic, what would be the aspects of that time travel that would be possible, like logically? Yeah. So. I mean, I would mention that from some course that I took last year, if you go down the A theories of time, there are philosophical arguments that refute the possibility of time travel. But like with the physical and scientific developments that have been made that show some kind of possibility for time travel, it's it's much harder to defend those kinds of logical theories at least that was my takeaway from the from the course because you know there's such a close interaction between philosophy and physics because they're trying to answer a lot of the same questions and like scientific developments have led us towards more so the B theories um that yeah. may be wrong but that's kind of the takeaway I've come with no i think that's kind of yeah that's similar to everything i've heard as well right okay well Moving on. That's a good sign, I guess. <laughs> um, so Sai has given us a bit of a rundown on 
this philosophical side of time. And now I am going to attempt to approach the physical view on the possibility of time travel. This is so Apologies. funny. We're doing a little switcheroo. You're doing I know, a... we're doing a switcheroo here. Saya, the resident scientist, has taken on uh, this phil- philosophical role here. And I-, I mean, I don't know if this switches for the better. I think it's for the worse. I also think so. <laughs> but it's well, happening. Let's see what you got. I know. Don't worry, guys. This is my last episode as the scientist. Um, <laughs> okay, so we'll set the stage here. I took this class last semester that I've mentioned a couple of times. From my be- brief time in that class, I'm going to attempt to get into the physics here. So I need to start off with some background information if we're going to establish this physical possibility of time travel. So we have two key principles. The first principle of relativity or all motion is relative second the speed of light is constant so we're going to take these two principles as given and i'm going to describe an example right now that should make it clear why we need these principles and like what their implications could be for time so let's say that Two politicians, they're on a train and they're signing some kind of document. So one is facing in the direction of the train's movement and the other isn't. And they've decided to both sign this document when they see a lamp turn on and the lamp has been placed equidistant to them on a table. So for those sitting on the train... The two sign this thing simultaneously, but for those on the platform, not on the train, it looks like the person sitting in the direction of the movement signed earlier. So from those for those on the platform, the person in the direction of the plane is actually moving towards the light, while the person sitting in opposite to the direction of the train is retreating from the light. So for platform people, the light doesn't seem to have to travel as far to reach the person traveling in the direction of the train. So speed is constant. So the speed of light is constant. But from the vantage of the platform people, the distance is less. And so that flash of light must reach the person traveling in the direction of the train faster. So what was the point of that example? The point is that Things that are simultaneous from the viewpoint of some observers will not be simultaneous from the view of others if these two groups are in relative motion and we've established that the speed of light is constant. So this quality of the speed of light and principle of relativity require us to give up this notion that like simultaneous some kind of universal concept. So, like, from this, we arrive at special relativity, which states that observers in relative motion will have different perceptions of distance and time, and that there's no absolute notion of distance or time. And this goes back to Saya's discussion of how our intuition differs from the science, because this radically changes and challenges our perceived experience of both distance and time. If I say that it's going to take me 20 minutes to do something. To me, that seems like an absolute chunk of time. But basically, what Einstein's special relativity establishes is that there is no absolute notion of 
distance or time, but these are all relative. Um, and the effects of this theory, though, only really has an impact when you're traveling near that speed of light or 670 million miles per hour. So the effects of this like differentiation and this relative um, distance in time only really takes effect when we travel near that speed of light. So that's why it's not super relevant to our everyday life because we never really get anywhere near that speed, but it has meaningful implications for time. So now let me attempt to get into that. So, all right, let's take this thing called a light clock. You've got two planks of wood and like a photon that's bouncing between them to keep the time if this light clock is moving this photon now has to bounce diagonally as opposed to just up and down so it's going to tick less frequently which suggests that time has slowed for the moving clock from this example we can take that time elapses more slowly for the individual in motion than it does for the stationary individual and this applies for people as well If people were to move around the speed of light, time would slow and they would live like 700 Earth years. But the catch here is that, you know, we haven't found the fountain of youth. The slowing of time is also going to apply to all the activities they undertake. So the amount of life one experiences is the same, but they would be in hyper slow motion. This might help people get it. So in TV shows and movies, when they send someone off into space... Like, for example, in Interstellar, which I think a lot of people will have seen when Matthew McConaughey goes into space and, like, spends a bunch of time there, is traveling super fast, and then travels super fast back, he's still, like, what, I think it's, like, 36, and his kids are now, like, 80, and that's why. Because he was traveling so fast in respect to his children, that time was moving that much slower for him. That, like, all those years passed, and he was still the same age physically, but they were, like, way older. But, again, like Sky said, he hadn't like experienced an extra like 40 years and just hadn't aged it was just that time was moving slow for him for him relative to his children okay saya coming in with the perfect example thank you saya um hopefully that makes it a little clearer all of these things i was talking about these other like principles those just allow us to get to what saya has basically described So then if we go from there, from like these principles and their implications for time, then we can get to time travel. So suppose you're placed in an accelerator where time is going to slow down because as we've described, you're moving very, very quickly. So time will slow down for you and you'll experience this hyper slow motion. So the person in this accelerator, like I guess you could say Matthew McConaughey in this scenario, has time traveled into Earth's future. You're traveling near the speed of light, you slow down, and the Earth around you is still going on. You've traveled into that future. Your clock would not show much elapsed time, but the outside world has moved forward. So that, to me, suggests Einstein's work seems to show us how one could time travel into the future i mean not into the past but into the future so all right saya what are your thoughts on what i've said so far right okay so you could say that that's time travel like that sounds right 
But if we go back to the physics, I what you're describing is called time dilation. So like when people age super slow, when clocks orbiting the Earth tick slower or slower in quotes than t- clocks on Earth, that's all time dilation, which is an effect of all the things that we've been talking about. So in a way, it is time travel, if that's how we want to think about it. So in movies and stuff like if we're so like if Matthew McConaughey aging super slow is like one thing and we call that time dilation usually like when people think of time travel they're thinking of like going into the past like and then there's like two versions of them one in the past one that has traveled back in time so those are two different things definitely but I think what you are saying is that time dilation can be a type of time travel I think that's what I'm saying also honestly like people that actually study physics are going to come for me right now. Yeah. But, but I think that's exactly what it is, where we've demonstrated how some physical principles allow for a type of time travel into the future that's perhaps not as like glamorous or right. as like whimsical that we imagine it in like pop culture and like film. But it doesn't deny the fact that it is still a type of time travel. Yeah, this, and it's, like, definitely possible, physically at least. Right. Which other types of time travel have not been proven so, so. Right. So, okay, if people want to read more about this, um, my professor Brian Green, his book, The Elegant Universe, I think is really helpful in trying to understand this. Um, but basically, Einstein's shown us how we could travel into the future, but... It's not how we would discuss it in common everyday language. I mean, to sum it up, you're moving at the speed of light. Time slows down. It doesn't slow down for other people. So you're experiencing things in hyper slow motion while the world around you continues. And so in that way, you're traveling into the future. Um, Yeah. I I mean, does this intrigue you at all? Is this some kind of time travel you'd want to do? I mean, me, I don't know, but I read a book like a long time ago um, where basically there was a super important smart person and they needed him not to die because he was getting old. So they sent him off into space like super fast and traveled. They made him travel all around space so that they could let things on Earth like develop and technology develop for him to come back and advise people on what to do when society had progressed far enough for him to be like super, super useful. So like that's one thing that is super interesting is that you could do things like that where like let earth progress and then have somebody who would have been dead for a lot of important events and decisions go off into space and come back still alive i think that's a great example of where this type of time travel would be useful and interesting like you let technology progress you let all that stuff happen right i think that one of the interesting things to talk about here is People are very often intrigued by time travel to undo, like, yeah, 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 exactly, right, and like prevent future bad things from happening. I.e., a lot of people have been talking about, you know, yeah, literally getting rid of one of the many horrible things that went down in 2020. (laughs) Um, But I mean, so far as I can tell, I haven't seen a way that Um, travel into the past would be possible. Well, if we think about it logically like we were before, I getting rid of something like coronavirus, I don't think – I think that would fall into a grandfather paradox kind of category where, like, 
I mean, unless coronavirus ended up killing the... Oh, boy. Or, like, catalyzing people to invent time travel, and then they travel back in time. Right. I mean, from the physical perspective, I feel like my takeaway from the class is that time travel into the past is much more challenging, if not impossible, to describe or explain. Yeah. And then again... Yeah. Like, say... So, like... An interesting thing to think about is say you're like super duper far away from Earth and you point like soup like billions of light years away from Earth and you point a telescope at Earth. Um, if you're far, if you're at the, if you're the right distance away in, and you look at Earth, you would see dinosaurs, right? So like in a way you're looking into the past, right? Because like that light from Earth will have reached your right. destination. Like and the light that is reaching you is like light from when the dinosaurs were around. Uh-huh. So, like, that's one – you can, like, look into the past in that way, or people have thought that you can look into the past in that way. But in terms of, like, physically being present at a location right. that you were previously present at, I don't know about that. I have no idea. Right. I mean, that's – I didn't know that, but that does make sense with the, like, speed of light being constant. Yeah, exactly. Like, and that's, like, light years, you know, like, the right. distance light can travel in, like, a year or whatever. Right. So, like, if you're one light year away from Earth, you're looking at, like, January 2020. Okay, so then let me pose the question, does time travel become more appealing if there is some kind of possibility to go back in time? Um, I mean, personally, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'd want to. That seems kind of scary. But, I mean, I get why a lot of people would want to, you know. There's, like, right many reasons. And that, obviously, many. that's, like, such a fascination for, like, media like you know there's so many uh-huh. books there's so many like movies and stuff where time travel happens which we can talk about now if you want sure so tell us a little about time travel in entertainment right so something that's interesting that we spent a long time in my class talking about i think my professor was like into movies and stuff especially time travel related related movies since like obviously that's what he does and like looking at them to see if they follow all these rules of like consistency right. and if they'd be logically possible so there's like many cases in media where they actually are possible for example i think i'm pretty sure in harry potter the time travel they do is possible um terminator one is possible he said but not the rest of the terminators and then um i wrote an essay on a rick and morty episode the only one where they time travel in season four um where rick and morty do time travel that is possible and there's like a bunch of other examples that are super interesting because a lot of times they like royally screw up time travel like I think, like he said, in the movie Looper, it's, like, totally impossible towards the end. Um, But I just think it's super interesting when people take the time to write stories of time travel that are logically possible because it always ends up being more interesting because you have to be super careful about what the people do that are time traveling. Did your class talk at all about, like, Back to the Future? Yeah, super impossible. Totally. Really? Okay. Absolutely ridiculous. Like, none of that is possible. (laughs) All right, so don't even bother... Don't even. He, my professor literally said, "Don't even. Don't you dare write your essay on Back to the Future." Oh, like, no. that's not. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's pretty funny, but yeah. And then what's super cool is, um, I had to. I for my essay, I drew like a diagram, which uh-huh. you can draw these diagrams of people time traveling, and like you can see in your diagram whether it's consistent or not because it all has to like loop back on itself. And so, if you Google like time travel diagram of like this movie or like this tv show or this book or whatever you can find them and you can like see on like one page like all the time traveling they do and if it works out or not okay so what would you do what would you do if you could time travel i don't know i think i'd just go back to like last year and just like 
go out. I don't know. To be honest, I feel like for me, this past year has just shown me that like natural, global, domestic challenges and disasters are like inevitable. Yeah. No matter when you're alive. And I think it's possible. I would predict with global warming that it's only going to get worse. Yeah, oh my god. So, I don't know. I feel like the past couple of months have just shown me... I don't know if I have that much of an interest in time traveling. I I don't know if I do because I feel like I have enough challenge as it is and I feel like there will be more that I'd rather just stay in the present and work with what I've been given. Right. I I feel like for me, it wouldn't be about changing things. It would just be about like seeing them again. And like, have you seen About Time, the movie? No. Oh, that movie, you should watch it. It's so cute. But basically, (sighs) I don't know if I want to spoil it or not. Basically, he can time travel and he the end of the the lesson at the end of the day is like you don't have to time travel to appreciate life like you should just live life as if right you know this is like the point is to like see all these like little things that are beautiful or whatever i mean i will say i think that so this book ernest becker's denial of death that my professor also assigned last term really talked about man's instinct and desire to overcome mortality Mm -hmm. and I think just that sentiment to me was so powerful because I think it's one of the big drivers behind time travel yeah definitely like prevent your own death prevent death. and this concept of hyper slowed motion I think it also clearly intersects with like the extension of life the overcoming of the bounds of the physical world that I almost I think there's a kind of religiosity to the interest in time travel because it's a kind of like comfort from a fate maybe we don't want to talk about or think about. So that's kind of how I've thought about time travel. I think it's very interesting that physics allows for there to be some kind of time travel, but I, I don't know the extent to which my personal interest extends there. Right. Me too. I'd say I agree with you. Let's recap the episode for a second here. So, There's some philosophical ideas on time travel. There's some physical ideas on time travel. Both seem to allow for some kind of time travel into the future, at least. It's a popular thing in the media because, look, at the end of the day, it's fascinating that we could just, like, totally counter our perceived experience of things and go explore the world, past and present and future. And, um, you know, its presence in the media reflects that. Sai, do you have any takeaways from this? Big takeaways from this episode of the Um, pod. Takeaway number one, I definitely did not deserve the grade I got in this class. (laughs) And takeaway number two is that these things are super fun to think about, I think. Like, even if you don't really know what you're talking about, it's always fun to talk about. And I'd say, like, this class on, like, and this unit on time travel is, like, something I talked a lot to people about just, like, casually because it's, like, super cool. So that's why we thought we'd record this. But, Yeah, yeah, I mean... I would say I have similar takeaways where even if you don't fully grasp, like Cyanide, what's going on with this, it does radically change your perspective of human life. Like I think to an extent, because I mean that's my takeaway with any exposure to science is like <laughs> I am confused, but it does make me think differently about my life. So yeah. 
for all my non-scientists out there, um, it's worth it's worth a class. Uh, it's worth a YouTube video if you're interested. Let's wrap this episode, guys. Thank you for listening. We will link some resources in the show description if this is something you want to read more about and some of the books, etc. that we talked about today. Please look forward to our next episode and we hope you enjoyed this better audio. Yes. Um. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Sayo, we started with these fire outros. <laughs> okay. All right. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye.